Hi, my name's Brian, and like most of you, I'm staying at home during the pandemic. To pass the time, I decided to get some of my friends on the record about what they're cooking, how they're doing, and anything else that might be on their minds. Join me on What's Eating You. Before we begin today's episode, which is very special to me, I want to address recent issues stemming from the national and global responses to the death, murder, or modern-day lynching of George Floyd. For those who may come to this podcast from outside of my personal circles, I will say that I'm a black man. Unless you've been on a mission to Mars this past week, or in willful denial, it has become clearer than ever that systemic racism remains pervasive in America. It didn't end with the Emancipation Proclamation in 1863, the Civil Rights Act of 1964, or the election of Barack Obama in 2008. And while the past few weeks may represent the beginnings of meaningful change, it's clear both from our national history and the ways we repeat it that as a country, we are barely beginning this work. It needs to be said clearly. Black lives matter. Race matters. And while I may have been less vocal in the past about these issues, none of us, black, white, or other, can afford to do so anymore. I am thankful that I have had the chances that my parents worked so hard to create for me, and lucky enough to be in a position to take advantage of those opportunities. Going forward, I will be sure to use my platform and position in life, however I can, to make sure that others have those same opportunities available to them. And now, to the episode. Today, we talk to my friend Pritch, who found herself unexpectedly able to join the movement on the ground of the White House protests in the District of Columbia. From people power to pan pizza. Here's this week's What's Eating You. Welcome to What's Eating You. Pritch. Thank you, Brian. Pritch to, to your friends, I guess. That's right. And while well, I guess you've, uh, your driver's license probably still says Georgia, right? But you're... Yes. Yeah. <laughs> my Georgia's license or my driver's license is definitely Georgia. Um, and that's where my permanent address is. But my feet and my the chair that I'm sitting in is uh, in the district. And then you said what brought you up there? Just um, see the sights? <laughs> yeah, I was like, this sounds really fun. No, um, I had been planning to come up here and see um, my friend Beth, who lives here. Um, really in an effort to try and uh, fend off insanity in during quarantine. Beth has been very diligent. I have been very diligent. And so we thought, let's combine two diligent people, but at least have different people to see and talk to and different walls to see and talk to. So I did it. And that was on Sunday. And then um, there have been some interesting developments in the U.S. and the world, and especially in D.C. since Wow, so, so usually I ask people what they've been uh, cooking or eating, but now I'd like to, to maybe ask what you've been uh, looking and seeing um, out in the district. What, how yeah. far are you from these activities or actions? Yeah, I would say like a, a mile and a half walk um, to the White House, and I know that because we made that walk earlier this week. Um, when I first got here on Sunday, Beth has a very lovely rooftop patio. Um, so we grabbed LaCroix, made our way upstairs. We're going to just kind of catch up. Um, and I realized I could, you can see the Washington Monument and the tip of the Capitol. 
Um, and I think it, I think it was Sunday, definitely Monday, but we started to see a lot of helicopter activity circling around that area um, as the protests turned into um, protests and riots. So there was a lot of, there were, I think there were even like Black Hawk helicopters in the distance. And then uh, Monday and Tuesday night, it was thunderous, the sound of the, the Black Hawks um, just moving around um, outside. We had curfew. Last night was the, or last night there was no curfew. Two nights ago it was 11, but then there was a 7 p.m. curfew for the first few nights. And that I was, was here. still. There was a lot of activity, yes. People didn't. So sirens, yes. helicopters. Sirens, yep, sirens, helicopters. She lives in a residential area, so it wasn't like, there weren't like people outside necessarily, but um, close enough to where there were people gathering and expressing their, their disdain. Um, not and so when away, you went, no. was that to one of the programmed uh, uh, assemblies or? Yeah, no, well, good question. I, I, I actually don't quite know the answer to that. Um, Beth, is, my friend Beth, uh, obviously is a DC resident. So she is on all the Twitter feeds and kind of has the insight. So I have been relying heavily on her to know what's going on and where to go. Um, and when we went, we just sort of struck out. We we tried to go um, one day and we didn't really know where to go. So we had ended up, there was like not really much happening and it was near curfew. So people were dispersing in that, in that particular area. And then the next day we were like, we're going to the White House. And so we went to the White House and there was a lot happening at the White House. And we ended up just sort of like happenstance. We kind of... So it was so, so blocked off that we had to like, you know, there's like different points of entry. So we're like, you know, in a crowd and one like straight on and we kind of try and go around and uh, hit the right flank where there's an, an entirely separate group, an entirely separate blockade with military and a lot of uh, National Guards, men and women in riot gear. So many points of entry to the White House. And then we kept walking over the next several hours and kind of got caught up in um, what ended up being a march from the Capitol building back to the White House. Um, that was that seemed to have some organization to it. There was a very, a very clear direction, but it was quite frankly an accident. We didn't know when they were setting off. We just happened to be in the right place at the right time. Now, tomorrow we know there, there is something planned um, that has been circulating on a lot of the, the social media outlets. So um, they're hoping to draw a large crowd and I think I think there'll be a lot of people. So when you go, are you, I mean, sounds like the things you've gone to have been, like you said, peaceful, a lot of people, yeah. either sort of scheduled and programmed and so winding down or organized. What's, what's happening in those, in those groups when you're there, just sort of the. Yeah, it's been, it's been really powerful. So I didn't really know what to expect. I did the women's March um, in Atlanta a few years ago, um, which was neat you know, or, or powerful, but this was, I mean, there's just, there was just an electricity in the air. There's a, there's a lot of, there's a lot of passion. There's a lot of emotion. There's a lot of anger. Um, so we walked up and we weren't, we, you know, didn't have signs or making signs tonight to March tomorrow. Don't worry. Maybe we can discuss what the right slogan is. I'm trying to figure out what I want okay. my to say. Um, but so we just went empty handed, just, you know, wanting to be there. Um, and there, there was some attempted organization at definitely a, a series of like, I don't know, chance the right cheers. 
um, a call and response, uh, you know, no justice, no peace, that type of thing. Probably, I mean, probably up to 10 different ones. And there would be one person who would start the, you know, start one thing. And then the rest of, um, you know, the rest of the crowd would take up that, would, would take that up. We saw every, everything that we saw was peaceful. We were there for, gosh, three or four hours. I, I think there, there was a lot of, um, <laughs> there was a lot of anger um, and unhappiness at the present. It's a, there was a strong military presence there. I mm. mean, um, it felt like a statement was trying to be made that felt unnecessary. Well, what, was it? Was what, what was it that felt unnecessary? Like the numbers or you mentioned? Yeah, all of it. Like, I mean, just more personnel, more armored vehicles uh, that clearly had been called in. This is not the D.C. police force. This is like, like you know, mil- mil- they're, they're, they're part of the military. So, yeah, and riot gear, we saw someone with a, what appeared to be, a, a, you know, an assault rifle, you know, just, I guess, ready to go just in case. We were not there, but it's very obviously clearly um, been circulating that tear gas has been used on more than one occasion. One time against peaceful protesters, um, we were at that that very spot um, and it was before, you know, before curfew and everything like that. So we actually brought um, long sleeves just in case something, I don't know what that would have done, but in case tear gas was was used. Yeah. So yeah, I think the number and the just the um, the statement in in terms of the how heavily armored they were was uh, an active sort of yeah. Uh, it it was a statement of dominance and intimidation. Was almost. there much interaction between the like you said that they were there a presence, but yeah, there were there were definitely people who were really wanting to engage with uh, the police or. Um, or the, the, you know, the National Guardsmen and would go up and they were really, you know, could get really close. And so some people were very demonstrative and expressing their, uh, you know, their feelings or their thoughts about what was going on. I saw some interactions on some of the police who were like on break and just hanging out and people would walk by and, and I don't want to say angrily, but, but angrily shout and want want to engage with them, want to, want, want to understand. Um, I don't know if they wanted to understand. They just wanted their voice to be heard. So when you're on the ground way. and it's, um, it's amazing that you're, like you said, you're there where, you know, the AP, the, the world is looking really. Yeah. And, and so from the, your sense of the crowd, are, what are people, are people angry about? I mean, this is obviously more than just one man's death, right? Floyd's, Floyd's murder. Is it, are people angry about that? Are they angry about the police there? Are they angry about things that have happened in DC? Like, what are you hearing? I guess I'm trying to get a, set, a read a little bit. So uh, George Floyd is absolutely at the center of this, at least, um, you know, justice for George is, is a rally cry. Um, a lot of the signs, you know, are, are related to uh, George Floyd um, and, and, his, and his murder. But absolutely, it is about, you know, systemically over the last however many <laughs> hundreds of years that this has that this has been a factor um, and is really just now coming to a head in part because they've been filmed you know a lot of signs saying how many weren't filmed um, and so I think you know my sense uh, and, and and I'm white so I I recognize that I don't have a lot of the insight that people of color or uh, you know I, I haven't been persecuted because 
the color of my skin, quite the opposite, you know, have, have experienced quite a lot of privilege. So I think there's a lot, yeah, there's, I think the black community, the brown community, they've, they've felt um, unseen and unheard in this way their whole lives. Um, and it's, I think, just come to a tipping point. So yes, it certainly is about, about George Floyd, but it's about, it's about their whole lives having to teach their kids or being taught how to be, that they have to behave differently when police are around. Um, and it, it is absolutely around police brutality and um, aggression towards people of color in the, in the police force. Well, you said from, you're in DC now, but you're, I'm even thinking you're from Minnesota. I didn't even, yeah. is that, have you thought about that? Has that come to mind? Absolutely. Yeah, I, I, I love my home state of Minnesota. I, I love Minneapolis. I, anyone who will listen, I will speak incredibly highly of it. So it was, I mean, the incident is devastating no matter where in the entire world that takes place, but hit especially close to me because I take pride in Minneapolis being uh, a great place of diversity, quite frankly, even though it's in a, you know, kind of nestled in the Midwest. Yeah, my mom, um, my parents are no longer in, in, um, in Minnesota, but my mom has lived there for the first 65 years of her life. Mm, let's call it seven, 65 years of her life. And wanted to tell me, she, I think she takes that personally too. She's very much feeling connected to the city, the state, you know, being, being ground zero for something that is tragic and shameful, um, but is powerful. And I think is, you know, hoping to, to push some change. And I honestly, I didn't, I didn't realize that, uh, but I've been reading that the Minneapolis Police Department has a really very horrible record of, um, of violence against people of color. Um, and, and I think just uh, violence in general, which I didn't realize. Um, and so I think, you know, obviously, it, these things need to be, need to be examined and brought to light, not just in Minneapolis, but, um, you know, systemically across across all law enforcement i think i think that's interesting like you said you have the i mean you know crazy coincidence that you're in dc and you're from minnesota but so like you said you were in a lot of ways learning things and having things sort of shown to you that were different from what you perhaps had always thought mm -hmm. or not not even thought about had the luxury of not thinking about but that i think that's an analog an analog for what's happening across the country right like you said this is talk about ground zero and i'm thinking about where this has reverberated and echoed and seems to be, um, you know, it's early and I'm a pessimist by nature, I think, around some of these things, but, you know, the certainly the degree to which it is activating other zones is, is really different and, and powerful and meaningful. And I, I, you know, I haven't even thought about why that is necessarily, but um, is it because, like you said, it's filmed? Is it because people are in some ways, at least, to some degree, under stay-at-home orders, and there's more space, or, you know, there's, you know, the ability for people to, to do this, but at the same time, you know, will it continue? I, is the new normal going to be, you know, just people in public with masks, or is the new normal going to be people caring about, you know, the, you know, revealing these other masks, pulling back these other shields that they've either been, had the luxury of holding up, or or been able to, to wield to not have to face some of these things. Mm -hmm. mm. Time will tell. Yeah, uh, like I said, I guess we can be hopeful, even if I'm not optimistic, optimistic rather, I can be hopeful. <laughs> I didn't prepare you well. I didn't prepare you well for this. I'm so, so sorry. sorry. I, don't, I, don't, I, don't say, I don't want to do the bait and switch for you where uh, you come to, 
to speak to me on what's eating you about, um, you know, the issues of what we're sustaining ourselves with um, from a from a standpoint of, you know, food or other sort of maybe even just practices yeah. in, the, in the home. But I don't know, have, how have you been managing being stuck inside? I know, again, like you said, the, the Georgia driver's license indicates that if you were down there, you'd probably have had even more freedom for longer. But what have you been doing? What have you been I think the same as most people trying to um, trying to be a good citizen, trying to follow, uh, trying to keep myself and respect others and keep them safe. Uh, so following CDC guidelines, um, which has meant not really doing a whole lot of anything. And I, at this time in my life, live in a very small apartment in a great part of town where you can walk to tons of bars and restaurants and coffee shops which is great in times of non-pandemic, it's proven a little bit more challenging now where I'm like, great, so now I'm stuck in here and I can't, you know, I can't make use of any of the the neat places that I that I can walk to. But walking, I mean, walking is the name of the game, fresh air. Georgia had a, a beautiful spring um, that, you know, that sustained me emotionally to be able to be outside. Because I don't know, I don't know if your listeners have been to Georgia in the summertime, but it is like, hashtag forever sweating that's my life is just you step outside and you just I just don't stop sweating but the spring was just really pleasant so it was good to be outside um and that's like that's that's what kept me mentally sane I think for the for that for that duration obviously it hit an end point and I was like I have to get I have to have a different change of scenery I have to have a change of scenery and here I am in DC but I was really grateful for that Georgia has great hiking in North Georgia not too far from from Atlanta so was was doing that to feed my soul and um yeah that, i would still do that in the summertime it's just an even greater need for better yeah, it's interesting to hear you say that because i think for so for example for me and i'm still working from home but a lot i think of my daily interactions at least with people like you said the social things the things that you don't realize bars restaurants social coffee shops those sort of interactions but for me a lot of that was at work and i know that you've for some time at least had a lot of work from home flexibility yeah regularly and yeah. so it sounds like, I don't know, where, where are you, are you feeling it because of? I don't, I, I realize, um, I, I realize, so I did a, a 100% remote job for about a year. And I realized during that time, like, I can do this. It's not where I really want to be. I don't want to be a 100% remote employee. I'm, I'm too dependent upon, um, I do, I consider some of my professional interactions social interactions, even, and then I might want to go home and be alone, but, but I still need and want that. So I, I made the switch and I'm working for a very small company now where technically my work can be done remotely. And so I was just trying to get into a groove and like get to know people in the office when this happened. And it was like, no, I, I don't want to, I really don't want to do that. I've done that. I learned that about myself. I don't want this work set up. But with that being said, I am in the recruitment business. And so I have experienced firsthand that so many people have been affected by furloughs and by layoffs or are fearful that it's coming down the chute, whether it was right away in March, talked to a bunch of people just this week who got laid off last week in June. You know, the economic ramifications are still coming down the chute. So I'm, I'm grateful to still have my job um, as much as the, the setup is probably less than ideal for, for we, me personally. We hope temporary, but... It is hard to know. And I've, I've been pushing that optimism forward. I am hopeful for, I mean, for, for these 
people who I'm talking to who are feeling, you know, like the rug was pulled up, up from under them, you know, after years at a, at a company where they were doing good work, you know, this is no fault of their own. That's hard. That's a, of course, financially speaking, but mentally, emotionally, that's a, that's a, that's a whole other challenge to have to work through to understand that this is not your fault. And by the way, you're walking into a terrible job market that I think is going to get better, but is just not, is not great right now. Flooded with good talent, and most companies are being are not are not you know moving forward with hiring. So I guess with your you know with the reversal, I guess of your of your return to an office, you know, sending you back home. How did you? How are you feeling? Those interstitial moments, right? The moments of you know, as I've learned now, like you can answer so many emails, and then you know it's weird when your kitchen is literally right behind you, or you know, your <laughs> couch is. In iShot, you know, mm. how do you, I guess, how are you navigating the spaces again, your home office, so to speak? Yeah, it's, uh, I think maybe that is an advantage. I've always been, um, I've always been a meal prepper. Um, and there is something really convenient and nice about having all of your tools in one place um, and like setting yourself up, you know, to be like, okay, the spare bedroom is going to be my office and that I'm only when I'm in there, that's my work time. I'm going to try not to bring my laptop into the living room because that's where I decompress at night. That's where I watch Netflix. Um, my bedroom is where I sleep and it def definitely has no place for, for work, you know, in, in that, in that place. Um, and the kitchen is where I get to eat delicious food and make delicious food that I've hoarded, not hoarded, but uh, you know, done some serious grocery shopping for, um, so trying to have like more intention around, and it's, again, it's a small apartment, so there's not a whole lot of like wiggle room there, but trying to kind of, I think, put intention into each room, like this is what this space is for. Um, and that's, I think that's been, that's actually been pretty, pretty effective, pretty effective for me. Yeah, that's, I think that's interesting because, you know, I know people in a lot of ways, like you said, either your walks or, you know, I, I know there's tons of people who are home with families, which is a completely different challenge. But, um, I can only yeah. imagine, but of trying to, so whether you can create those walls or not, hopefully, you know, when you're working, you're at least able to do your work or when you're with your family, you're able to do with your family. Or when you're watching Netflix, like you said, you're able to watch Netflix. And when you're able to sleep, Lord willing, <laughs> you could just sleep. Yeah. But, but, you know, so are you, when you have these moments, are you sort of focusing on the thing? Are you being present? You know, I know that's a big thing people talk about, like being present, as hard as that is. Yeah. Yeah. I think I am. Um, I think I've always, uh, maybe that's not a fair statement to make, but been pretty focused at the task at hand. So, um, well, I'm, I'm pretty, I'm really good at plugging into work and being like, okay, I'm going to work. Um, every once in a while it'll be like, well, but those Brussels sprouts need chopping so that you can make them for dinner. So I actually have been, I've been trying to be compassionate and kind and it's, this is unprecedented. These are, these are weird times. So if you need a mental break to chop your, your Brussels sprouts, go, go chop your Brussels sprouts. Just don't let it turn into like an hour's worth of work. That's the, you know, that's the danger It's like, well, now I could really, you know, prep the whole meal when you're really supposed to be working. And there is work. And, you know, I, I, again, I'm grateful for the work that I had to do. So I want to be able to honor that and actually plug in and, and do that as, as best I can, at least. Or I always, um, like, I've, one of the quarantine shows that I've been watching is the great British 
baking show or bake off. I'm not sure, not sure which one. And a lot of that takes so much time. And of course, these are filmed pre-pandemic. And so people are talking about like, you know, like it's like hours and hours and hours for this challenge. And then you understand that the contestants have been practicing this, doing it start to finish, like hours and hours and hours. And that was always something that I was like, how, when, like what, how, what life structure do you have that allows you to do that? Um, you know, I would never, I would never have a, the ability to do that. And now everyone technically has that excuse or capability if they really wanted to try. I would just never think to, uh, to bread and fry a chicken. Was it delicious? Um, yes and no. So, um, <laughs> no, I think that's the other thing, right? About cooking and about even bread making, right? I had, I've had a couple loaves that didn't rise, for example, or, um, you know, with the chicken, for me, the biggest thing was the batter was not applied evenly everywhere. So mm. was it good? Yeah, it tasted fine. But there were spots that didn't have um, the same kind of crisp and crunch uniformly. There were spots that, um, you know, were fried. I mean, I'm, I'm happy it wasn't underdone or anything like that. But um, just as far as like, was it restaurant quality? You know, like, yeah, no. But you get better <laughs> at stuff. You get better. Yeah, yeah. Like, I'm, I'm very proud of my pan pizzas now. My pan pizzas are legit, but... What's the secret? Time. Uh, yes. So you just have to, um, and ing and good ingredients. So I use good flour. What you know, good flour. I think universally people think that King Arthur flour is very good because sort of the uniformity of its of of the flour and um, and obviously wherever they source source the the grain from is really has high standards too. Hmm. But it is you know to use good ingredients and then. Basically, because it's a simple thing, it's flour, salt, water, yeast, a little oil, you know, and then you just let it sit, essentially, after mixing it together a few times and um, putting it in. And then, you know, just being um, smart about the toppings, I make my own sauce. So, um, oh. you know, a little mix of... Red sauce, I assume? Yeah, tomato sauce, but it's a little thicker. So it's, um, and it's not cooked down. It cooks when it goes in the oven, really. So it's, uh, you know, some seasonings little sugar, uh, tomato paste, and, to and tomato sauce, essentially. And so you find good versions of those ingredients. And, um, you know, I have a, you know, sometimes you need to blend it if there's, depending on how the sauce is, if there's if crushed tomatoes or whatever. But, you know, that, spread that on the, on the pizza makes a little difference too. Yeah. Yum. What kind of cheese do you use? Uh, typically uh, a mozzarella. I've played around with, um, full fat and part skim mozzarella. I've done I mean, it's a Chicago deep dish that was um, better actually upon reheating than at first. Oh. Yeah, I, I hated, hated the first, I'm glad actually I actually didn't throw it away because it got better, but I hated the first slices I had of it. I remember I made it and then I watched a, an 80s movie um, or early 90s, Arnold Schwarzenegger movie. And I was like, hated it because the, the um, dough had cornmeal in it. Oh. And so I think I've talked to some other people. Cornmeal, apparently, it's a really, it's sort of like love it or hate it. Some people hate it and stuff. And I did too, the first, like I said, the first day. But in general, actually, I believe pizza gets better if you let it rest. But, you know, cold pizza, reheated or whatever, it can be good. And so the deep dish I had was better. And that was layered with provolone, uh, mm. also some mozzarella. Um, 
sausage, pepperoni, and, and a boatload of, of tomato, crushed tomatoes, frankly, Parmesan cheese, Ooh. grated Parmesan. So that was, that was great. And I have some good cast irons that I've been using a lot. So those, those work well. Um, Get your money's worth for the uh, for the that equipment. Yeah, don't don't have a pizza stone, but I have some cast irons that, that kill it. Well, Christmas is coming up, so I know what to get you, I guess. <laughs> and your birthday. Came hey, that passed. That passed. Yeah, so little... June one. May one. May one. Damn it. Roxy's is June one. That's right. How was your birthday, Brian? I'm sorry, I missed it. It was in pandemic. So. Yeah. So that means it was not so great. Uh, you know, I think, well, it was after my meltdown. So, um, although, uh, you know, this was meltdown May. A lot of people melting down. Grimes and Elon Musk's child was born in May, so. <laughs> I did hear that. Yeah. I did hear that. Yeah. So that's, uh, it was, you know, it, I guess it isn't, I hadn't really thought about it, what it was like, because now it was such a long time ago, it feels like. But, uh, I mean, I enjoyed it. It was a Friday, at least. So I didn't have to work, uh, or rather when it ended, you know, I, I could spend a lot of time talking to people and catching up and stuff and sort of didn't let work hang over me. But, you know, it was sort of, the days are so alike now. Another thing that's interesting, um, that uh, it was a little different, but it wasn't, but it was still like most of the others, <laughs> if that makes sense. Yeah. yeah, they all are similar. Woof. You know, I was talking to somebody today who said that they know Monday and they know Friday, but the days in between are all virtually interchangeable. You know, they wouldn't know if it was Tuesday, Wednesday, or Thursday. Um, and I think that's right, because I actually thought yesterday was Friday, because I had a meeting that was sort of um, agendaless. So it was sort of like just people hanging out, kind of. It <laughs> made me feel like Friday. And then I had other meetings. I was like, oh, wait, no. no it's <laughs> Even the weekends are like the, the defining factor of that of the weekends are you don't work. It's not like you do anything grandiose or like, yeah. Exactly. I've gotten out well, a couple times because and- Because I'm not working. Yeah, I've tried to avoid doing other stuff, but so in fact, I've tried to do my shopping during, on weekdays. Mm. Um, I don't think I'll be doing that today, but it, it would be, um, you know, I, I went out a couple times along the river, the Delaware River, um, the borders, Pennsylvania and New Jersey done some loops up there, taking my motorcycle out, stuff like that. So yeah, some little jaunts. Yeah. I would think the, the bike riding, the motorcycle riding would be, could be nice. Yeah. Well, the weather's nice. Yeah. I mean, it's funny. Most of my riding is typically actually my commute. So I would commute that way, you know, about half an hour ride, um, 20 and a half, 20 minutes, half an hour. And sort of taking different ways home and back to and fro. And to be honest, that's how actually how you stack up most of your mileage because you do it, you know, twice a day, five days a week if you if you're you know driving to work. So um, now, even when I'm doing a ride, so I went out last weekend for probably like 30 miles, and the week before or two weeks before, the week before I did like 110, and but that's still, you know, less than half of what I would have done on a if I had ridden four or five days during the week to work. Yeah, I'd be doing 40 miles a day. <laughs> essentially yeah. true that's true and that's time to you know clear my head and stuff but it's also it's tough because not that you need a place to go but sometimes especially yeah. like around this area 
to get to a place that's more enjoyable to ride, you sort of need to ride a little bit to then ride. <laughs> yeah. Get out of the city, so to speak, even though yeah. I don't really live in a heavily urbanized area. Is it li like in, in Georgia, um, you know, the it's getting a little bit more lax um, and, and, and has been. What's what's New Jersey like? What's. Uh, New Jersey is good. It's very, it's pretty regimented, which is good. I think we've had good gubernatorial leadership. And so um, New Jersey is also been part of this i think it's happening in many areas but this the regional regions and the states have sort of been coordinating and so new jersey's lumped in with most prominently pennsylvania and new york and so new jersey and new york actually were some of the areas with the largest COVID outbreaks if yeah. if um you know if we were countries we'd be based on certain cities and outbreaks we'd be like top five um with the number of cases that have emerged from uh new jersey um and so not most of those are in northern Jersey, adjacent to New York, but central New Jersey, where I live, Mercer County has also had a great number. If you did, again, I said by, by rate, we would, yeah. be, we would be really up there, which is a, sort of shocking to some degree, but it makes sense the way, this thing, the way we know this thing spreads and the way in which we, um, you know, in the beginning, uh, just weren't, I think, even aware of it spreading versus, um, you know, the speed with which we took eventually the really strong measures to close yeah. and help halt the spread, which is good because I think because of that, we haven't seen our worst case predictions come true, you know, while over, I think at this point, 110,000 Americans have died from COVID or COVID related um, illnesses. It's not three or four or five times that, you know, I think those are the types of things that, that people were concerned about. Um, and so because of this reverse trend and the slowing, not the elimination, but the slowing of, 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 the, of the virus, um, we are now in various stages of reopening. And so it started in New Jersey, probably actually um, around uh, a week or so before Memorial Day with things like outdoor spaces reopening. So parks, um, beaches, things that uh, people could go and assemble at. Now among those, thing, a lot of stuff was closed and obviously social distancing is still in place, but um, you know, uh activities are now starting to resume and be allowed to resume mm. um retail monday is going to restart um so people can go to retail it's going to be much like grocery stores you know that sort of thing so really the the things that were essential and never closed it seems that those practices are now being transported to most other businesses that had to close um that were deemed non-essential and uh in a few weeks uh something i mean your hair looks great but in a few weeks here, uh, barbershops and salons are going to start to reopen. So uh, the, the third week of the month, I think that, that's going to happen here. So that and I know that was like day one when things reopened in the South. But um, that was day one. Yeah, that was that was day one. <laughs> yeah, but stuff but like that. Before, because with short hair, it's not uh, that I can't cut myself. That's that's tricky. But um, the place I go waited even, I think, a couple of weeks after um, and took took great precautions. So. Yeah. Your hair looks great too, by the way. Thanks, but um, you know, I gotta get my beard trimmed. Uh -huh. That's where I gotta see my guy about. But yeah, I think you're right. I think the industries are also figuring out how they can do it safely and what they're learning from each other. And um, you know, I, obviously, I'm gonna make sure they can do it safely. It's not gonna be like it was. <laughs> That's for sure. It shouldn't be like it was. Right. Under those circumstances, there's no possible way it can be done safely. You know, with 
a bunch of people in the shop at the same time with, you know, people sitting and waiting for their appointment. And, and I'm lucky in that my barbershop is a place that does scheduled virtual appointments. So they are at least have that infrastructure, but yeah. I'm really curious to see, like, you know, can they take multiple people at once? Is there going to be one person in the shop? You know, I know the barber's going to wear a mask, but, um, you can't exactly exactly <laughs> that would be a weird beard trim i think exactly so i think it's going to be um it's going to be interesting um you know and so we'll we'll see how it goes and you know if i'm not comfortable i won't go but um yeah you know that's this is going to be with us for foreseeable future so we have to figure out how to live with a lot of or at least minimize the risk you know yeah a version of the seatbelt and the speed limits that keep cars which are you know how many car accidents are there every year? How many would there be if we didn't actually have a sense that's a great of great analogy? That's the first time I've heard that. That's really that's great. Yeah, I think that's I think that's a key thing because people want to make a lot of, especially as they you know, I get it. They there are it's inconvenient and it's um, inhibiting and 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 people's livelihoods are being impacted in a way such that you would want people if they're able and safe to be able to go and and, and live. Um, take advantage of society as we had it. However, I, the facts are we can't do a lot of those things the way we did. And, you know, mm -hmm. people want to, you know, have spring break. Spring break's not safe, you know, that type of activity. And, you know, a restaurant, indoor spaces, we know science is now telling us at least that that's how and where things spread. People being loud or shouting apparently projects this stuff more. So, you know, would, would I go to a concert? Would I go to an outdoor concert even? I don't know. Yeah. You know, tell me how it's set up and what precautions are being taken. And, you know, I'll do my part. I'll wear my mask. I will, um, you know, carry my hand sanitizer, but I don't touch my face. I go to the grocery store and it's basically a three hour window where I consciously am not touching my face. And it's only through that mindful experience of standing in line, of going to the store, of getting my groceries, car and home, that I've realized how often I did want to touch my face, you know? Isn't or, that the truth? I, yeah, I've <laughs> the same experience. It sounds so easy. Like, yeah, don't touch your face. That's fine. Catching myself anything. all the time, you know, scratching an itch or wiping my eye or yep. picking my nose, whatever. Yep. That was a joke, by the way. I don't pick my nose. Just so don't worry. I'm going to edit it so I cut that joke part. People will be like, that <laughs> is a joke. That is not a joke. Thought I'd pick my nose? Yeah, just say that is not a joke real quick. And, uh... That is not a joke. Okay, good. I'm going to edit Wait, that. Wait, no, that is a joke. <laughs> <laughs> no, that is a joke. <laughs> Oh gosh. Shoot. Well, you made me talk more than you. Um, That's not true. I'm good at asking questions too. And, and you have good insight and you have a soothing voice. That's fair. Well, we'll see. I, go, I might always cut it, but. Some good content though. A ton of good content. This is good. This is a good pod. Can't really tell. Sweet. Can't wait. Thanks for inviting me. Thank you for, for talking. It's good to see you and hear you and hear about what you're what you're doing. It's always always great. Always it's always good to see you too. I I hope I can see you in person soon. I have to thank Pritch, not just for her time on the podcast, but for her standing in solidarity, for her commitment and her action. Pritch, I'm proud to call you a friend. From the district to the Twin Cities to wherever you are, this has been another episode of What's Eating You. Take care, and we'll talk soon.